You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Man, we are wound up today, and you have no idea. It is a good, good Sunday. It was uh, just awesome. This morning, we launched off over uh, almost 200 kids to go to Hume Lake, and they're going to spend a week up at uh, camp, and it's going to be a phenomenal thing. I don't know about you, but it was just amazing. The buses are all lined about here and launch all those kids off, and all the people working with them be praying for those kids during the week. But I got to let you know that God just does something unique at camp. When we get away from our regular routines, and we slow down to a place where we can listen to the Lord, where we can speak to our heart, amazing things happen. And we're super glad to have all the kids in here today and families for you to be together. And that's just awesome. We just want to welcome uh, you here this morning. We've been in a series called Tension. And let me, I'm going to walk over here, guys, on this one. But I just want you to know that we've talked a couple weeks, and we've talked about there's tension between two ideas, that you can know God, and yet God is a mystery. God can do whatever God wants to do. He's God. We're not. But you can know him personally, but he's a mystery. At the same time, last week we talked about God has ideals, that God's principles work, that he has an ideal way for you to live and to act and to behave, right? He has an ideal. But the beautiful thing is there's a tension that God also uses broken people. But we've paused our series today because the next one we're going to talk about is so essential, especially for every high school and junior high student to hear that we didn't want them to miss it the day that they launch out for camp. And so today we are going to be talking about the issue of baptism. And isn't it exciting just watching that video? You watch people go, they get baptized, they're dunked, they're raised up to new life, and you just say, man, there's just something so cool about people getting baptized. And it's such a beautiful thing to be able to see uh, when they do that. And what I want to do today is I want to communicate to you about baptism. I want you to keep an open mind about baptism. And I'm going to try to do my best to communicate to you the importance of baptism. There's a lot of confusion about baptism. I've even seen things uh, in our culture where they go, oh, you just kind of have a baptism. And it's almost like a promise to live a better life. I got to tell you, that is not what baptism is all about. It's not about a promise to live a better life, that there is actually something sacred about baptism. And we're going to talk about that a little bit here today. Uh, Let me tell you a story, though. A number of years ago, as a youth pastor in Colorado, I grew up in Southern California, spent 10 years in Colorado. And while we were out there, had a youth group. We took a camp, a summer camp, and we're driving back from summer camp. Uh, Kids have made decisions for the Lord, and it's awesome. We're down in Gunnison, Colorado, and we're driving back, and we're driving along a river. Well, one of the kids who had just accepted Christ, his name is Ben, and Ben's like, Dave, I want to get baptized. And he goes, look, there's a river right there. And we're driving along, so we had to stop for lunch. We, we grab our subway, we stop for lunch, and then we find a spot along the river where he could get baptized. And we think we'll just sneak down there, just kind of you know, hop in, baptize him. And, and it's been summer camp, so he gets in his bathing suit. I'm already wearing shorts. It's not a problem. So we go down there. We jump in the river. Well, I step in the river first, and I'm telling you, the current is strong. It looked all like mild, but no, it's a strong current. Well, he gets down there, and he's not a kid. He's a high schooler. He's like, he's like as tall or taller than me. He's a, he's a you know, big guy, but he wants to get baptized. So we, I ask him the questions. We're going to baptize him. I'm going to baptize him. All the kids are sitting on the bank, and they're watching this go on. And so I baptize him, and I put him down in the water. And in that moment that he goes down the water, he puts his arms out to the side. Now, his arms work like a rudder, and he like, transitions in the river because the current right in front of me. And I realized very quickly, he's going to wipe my legs out, and we're going downstream. 
I mean, I could just see the headlines, right? You know, youth pastor and student killed, baptism gone wrong. It's just, you know, horrible. You're just like, how, how wrong could this go so fast? And, and so I, I baptize him down, and like, I realize, man, he is pulling right into me. And so I've got my hand under his, under his neck, and he's kind of holding his nose. And I realize, I, I got to pick him up. And he's a big kid, and the only thing I could do to pick him up, I had to grab, like, the front of his shorts, like, right there. And fortunately, just his shorts, it was the only thing floating above water, right? And I grab him, I pick him up, get his feet back under him, because otherwise he's going to sweep us both downstream. And we were like, whoo! Like, he comes up spluttering and laughing, because he knows, like, we just almost went downstream. We come out like it's all cool. I'm like, oh, you know, I can just imagine having, you know, the senior pastor have to tell the parents, sorry, we lost a kid and our youth pastor uh, at camp, but it was just, I mean, baptism is interesting. People have different ideas about baptism. Maybe they got baptized as a child. Maybe their, their parents dedicated them, had them baptized in a certain way. Maybe they made the decision. They think, I don't really know what the decision was I made at the time, but I got baptized, and, and I want to help and do my best today to answer questions to you about things like this. Why do we immerse and not sprinkle? Does baptism save me? I mean, what happens? I, I'll be honest with you. I will never grow tired of that moment when people are coming up out of the water. There is just something that happens when people are obedient to the Lord and they're coming up out of the water and they take that breath after getting baptized. There's just nothing like it. I will never grow tired of that experience, watching that experience happen with people. I just won't. There's something that God does in that moment. But here's what I want to, other questions you might have are, well, what does the Bible say about baptism or who should be baptized or did mine count? Sometimes people wonder, did I really know what I was doing when I did that? And they're just not sure, and we want to talk about that. If you have your outline, take it out of your program and grab that thing, get it ready, because we got some information that we got to lay down before we get into our scriptures today. And the first thing that you need to realize, number one on your outline, is that it's very important to realize that baptism did not start out as a Bible word or even a Christian word. Baptism didn't start out as a Bible word or a Christian word. In fact, it's very interesting because uh, people think that it got in there. Oh, well, baptism was like a Bible thing, kind of like communion. Like no one had ever heard of communion. Then communion got added, and then we we celebrate the sacraments, right? The two sacraments that Jesus commanded his people to observe are to be baptized and then to observe the Lord's Supper, communion, that we do once a month here, and we will do that until we do that until the Lord returns. That's what we do. But every Christian, every believer should be baptized and should celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's just, those are the sacraments. In fact, we live in the region of Sacramento. The reason that word comes around is that Sacramento is defined by so often what has been happening in scripture, that there were sacraments, two of them, that were given to us to observe uh, in our living years. But it's not a Bible word, baptism isn't, nor a Christian word. You got to realize in Greek, The word is baptizo. It's on your outline. And here's what it means. To dunk, plunge, immerse, or dip. Dunk, plunge, immerse, or dip. It's the word baptizo. And there was a Greek physician named Nicander. And about 200 years before Christ, uh, in some of his writings, he was giving a recipe for making pickles. And what he said is this, if you're going to make pickles, you take a vegetable, right, and you, and you baptize it, is the word he used in Greek, you baptize it in vinegar. And if, so if you do that, then you would do it. And this is 200 years before Christ. So this is not a Christian word. It's a common, normal, everyday word. It's the word baptizo in Greek. Well, how did it make it from Greek into the Bible? 
Like, how did we get from there and then it means like dunking people? What, 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 how did that happen? Well, in Luke chapter 3, there's a very strange guy. His name is John, and John wears clothes made out of camel hair. So not like your normal clothing. By the way, I've, I've pet a camel, and it's got very coarse hair. It is not cotton. I'm just telling you. Camel is not cotton, and it's, it's very different. But he would wear that, clothing woven out of that kind of hair, and he would wear that, and then he would eat locusts and wild honey. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some people in the food industry that speculate if Americans could just get used to eating bugs, we would solve a lot of our world's problems. Now, I don't know about you, I'm glad we don't, but there are parts in other parts of the world where people eat bugs. But in that day, here's this guy named John, and he's out in the wilderness, and he's, he's grabbing locusts, and he's, and he's eating them, and I, I just can't even imagine like that crunch or what happens there, right? You know, your first bite of a locust. But they're eating that, and, and he's probably dipping them in honey. I imagine he's eating wild honey because who would just want to eat a locust on its own, right? It's like sauce. I need sauce for my locust. And so he's eating that, and he's out, in the, he's out in the desert. Well, this guy is out, and he begins to preach. He begins to preach out there in the wildlands as people are passing by, and he's starting to gain a following, and a crowd starts to come. And he starts preaching to people. He says, repent, for the Messiah is coming. Repent, which means turn away from your sin. Get ready. The Messiah, the Jewish Messiah that we've been waiting for for years, he's coming. Get your act together is what he's saying. The Messiah is coming. And so he's out there and he's preaching this. And people are listening. But I got to help you understand. People are so curious. You want to know why? Because for 400 years, God had not sent a prophet to the people of Israel. Aside from the Old Testament, God had not spoken to the people of Israel. And all of a sudden, this strange guy out in the desert begins preaching and saying, the Messiah, that's one we've been waiting for, he's coming, and you need to turn your life around. And so people are coming from everywhere. There is 400 years of silence. And then John begins to preach out in the desert. They think a prophet has finally come again. Like we've heard about from our ancient times, a prophet has come back to Israel. And they're so excited, and they're going down there, and they ask him, hey, okay, I'm willing to turn around for my sin. I'm ready to get ready for the Messiah. What should I do? He says, you should repent. And then John did something that no one had really ever done before. He kind of said, walk down the river with me. And they went down in the river, and then what he did is he would dunk these people in the river and bring them back up. And all the people standing around are like, what, what, what is he doing? We don't really have a word for this. They're saying, what is he doing? And so what they say is, look, look, he's... He's baptizoing them. They didn't really, you know, they're like, we just got to use a regular word, right? Like, he, what is he doing? He's just baptizoing them. He's, he's dunking them. He's putting them under the water. Well, at that point, John gets a nickname. It's John the Baptist. Now, be honest. How many of you thought that was his last name? Come on. How many of you thought that was his church affiliation? Right? Oh, it's not John the Presbyterian or John the Catholic. No, it's John the Baptist, right? That's what you thought. But the truth is, they just said he's John, that, that strange guy out in the wilderness who's baptizoing, he's baptizing people out there and saying that the Messiah is going to show up at any time. Now, some people are like, well, wait a minute. Maybe you could get baptized and you can get sprinkled. You could sprinkle. But i got to let you know something about Greek. Greek is so specific. For example, in English, we have three tenses, past, present, and future, right? In Greek, it's such a specific language, they have seven tenses. 
They have seven tenses in Greek. I mean, it's such a, an amazing language. In fact, if you study Greek and you go to unpack Luke, all of a sudden your mind gets blown because Luke is a doctor and Luke is all about the details. He's investigative reporting. If you read the Gospel of Luke, it's investigative reporting about the events and times of Jesus' life. And he is so specific in the words that he used. Well, he could have used, if they weren't baptizing, baptizoing, then he could have used another word. And that word would have been sprinkle. The word, though, for sprinkle is where we get the word uh, rontizo, or it's also called reino, where we would get the word rain, right? Like California rain. That's like when it's really just misting. And we say, oh, it's raining outside, but really it's just, it's spritzing, it's sprinkling, right? Uh, And then we have to come up with other words. It's very different than a Midwest thunderstorm. A California sprinkle is not a Midwest thunderstorm, right? Big difference. So we have to say it's a huge downpour. We have to use English and build it up so people get the idea that it's not just like heavy fog, that you know, something's actually happening and it's hitting the ground. And, and it, it's the word, Ereno is the word they had. He could have used that word easily. In fact, it would be the word that he uses, that Paul uses in Hebrews chapter 9. He's speaking about the priests in the Old Testament. Hebrews 9.21 says this, In the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. So what he's saying is, the priest would go in to the tabernacle, the, the temple, that was the mobile temple, it was a mobile church, and they would go in there and he would take blood of a sacrifice. A death had to happen. For things to be purified. So an animal is killed, he'd take the blood from that, he'd take it on like this little thing, and he would sprinkle the things. He wouldn't, he wouldn't dip, he wouldn't take the altar and dip the entire altar in blood. He wouldn't take the basin and dip the entire basin in blood. He wouldn't take the Ark of the Covenant and get some guys on poles to dip it down in blood. No, what they did is they sprinkled it to purify the action that now was going to happen is holy. But that holiness came at the sacrifice of a life. And they would sprinkle. That's what they would do. And it's good that it wasn't English in that day because people might have called John, John, you know, it was good that he was not John the sprinkler. You know, he was John the baptizer because that's literally what he did. He, he immersed, he dipped, he, he immersed them. And it's a good thing that they didn't use English or he might have ended up as John the dunker or John the plunger or John the big dipper. I mean, all those things would have just, you know, worked in English, but not for him. He was John the Baptist, the baptizer. And the reason that we immerse a person is quite literally that's what the early church practiced. It's what they did. It wasn't a sprinkle. It wasn't a spritz. It really was to be immersed. Well, why? Why do we practice baptism? People wonder, they ask, well, what's happening when you get baptized? Like, does baptism save a person? And the answer is no. Baptism doesn't save you. It's not what happens. Uh, How do I know? Well, Jesus got baptized. Jesus didn't need to be saved. And what John was initially doing out there in the wilderness, what he was doing before the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ was different. What he was doing is just saying, "Get, get ready, get ready, so that you can believe the Messiah, because it's that belief in the Messiah that will save. It's not the baptism, but you're just getting ready. Once Jesus has been dead and buried, rose to new life, and he commissioned the church, he said to continue baptizing as, baptizing as he had modeled for us. And it's an act of obedience. Does it save? No. Jesus, being God, didn't need to be saved. So baptism clearly doesn't save, 
but it is literally this. It's the visible. Hey, everybody, watch this demonstration of what God has done inside me. That inside me, I put my faith in him, and he has declared me righteous. I have been saved. But you can't see that because that's in my soul. You can't see my soul. The eyes are the window of the soul, but let's be honest, you only see the eyes. You can't see my soul. What's happened to my soul is that I've become a new creation in Christ. My sins have been washed away because I put my faith and my trust in what Jesus did on the cross. So baptism is now a public demonstration, saying, hey, everybody, I want to show you on the outside what has already happened on the inside. And God has commanded us to obey and to show everybody else what has taken place inside me. This is not a secret. It's why he says do it publicly. In Luke chapter 3, open your Bibles, if you will, to verse 21 following. Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove in bodily form, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now it's beautiful. Jesus goes down there, and he sees John. And John at first doesn't want to baptize Jesus. He doesn't want to do it. Because John knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's saying, You should baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, we must, this must be done to fulfill the will of my Father. But at first, John's like, no, no, let's not do this. And, and you got to realize, these guys know each other. John is Jesus' cousin. And some of you are like, oh, I get it, like family religion. No, that's not the case. John's birth was miraculous, that his mom was way beyond childbearing years and yet had always wanted to have children. And God blessed her with a child. That child was John. She was pregnant at the same time that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. So here you have a, a young teenager mother, and you have this woman who's very, very aged, but these two boys are cousins. And they go out, and he's saying, prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus comes down. He acknowledges who he is. In fact, by the way, after Jesus was baptized, John and went to the wilderness and then came back and started his ministry. Most, John shoved most of his disciples to go follow Jesus. I'm not the Messiah. I'm the under-shepherd of the good shepherd. The good shepherd's Jesus, and you guys need to follow him, and so they would do that. But John didn't want to do it at first. He's like, no, but Jesus said, no, it must be done. And the beautiful thing is right there, picture with me, you're in the crowd and you're at the baptism of Christ and you're standing there and you're saying, oh, he's baptizing people. Well, Jesus comes down and walks in to get baptized. And, and this is a different baptism. You know why? Because God speaks from heaven and everybody who's there hears it. They all hear it. Now, let me tell you something. This is before electricity. There's no PA system. I mean, literally, could you imagine you're just there and it's like, this is my son. You're like, who talked, right? Whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, this is that moment. And so God speaks from heaven and it's a beautiful thing because in baptism, the Trinity is present. You've got Father speaking from heaven. You've got Son, Jesus Christ, about to be baptized. You've got the Holy Spirit in the presence of a dove. Three in one. And where does God start? He starts with identity. Before Jesus' ministry, before he launches out to do great things, before he dies to save the sins of the world, he gets baptized. And right there, God starts with identity. We've talked about this before, but that's your identity. When you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then our identity becomes with Christ. We are his brother or his sister. And we share the inheritance with Christ. 
And it's a beautiful thing because God literally will say to you, you are my son or my daughter whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's your identity. Then he launches you off into formation and into community and then into ministry. And that's how spiritual growth happens. Well, Jesus is there and he gets baptized and his identity is clear. But the beautiful thing is because his identity was clear, our identity becomes crystal clear. Well, after Jesus had risen from the dead, so now three and a half or so years later, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's been dead. He's been buried. He's revealed himself to over 500 people at one showing. He's met with the disciples multiple times. He keeps appearing. It's a public thing. You cannot decry the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's historical evidence so much for it. But Jesus then, before he ascends back into heaven, gives a great commission to the church. And this is what he tells the church to do in Matthew 28 verse 19 and following. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So God's going to leave. He's going to send back up into heaven. But God gives the great commission. Hey, church, what is the church supposed to do? It's not the Old Testament tabernacle and all those things that were before that now I'm launching you out. And what are you to do? You're to go and make disciples. And it's so interesting to me because he could have said this. He could have said, go, make disciples and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He could have could just simplified it, right? Just go and teach them to do what's right. But no, God's heart, God's plan, God knows something about human nature. And he says, go make disciples. And what's the first thing a disciple typically is going to do? They're going to be baptized. That baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And God just knows something about human nature. This is not a suggestion. This is actually a command. It's an imperative. So you see right away the word go is an imperative. That's not like, hey, if you guys feel like it, go make disciples, just if you want to. No, he's like, he literally is saying, I'm commanding you to make disciples. I'm commanding you to baptize them. I'm commanding you to teach them to obey. And by the way, I'll be with you till the end of the age. How beautiful is that? That gives you a glimpse into the heart of God. Was and is the issue of baptism important to God? Absolutely. You and I, if we're going to pattern our lives after Jesus, at some point, you're going to need to walk into the water and allow someone to immerse, dunk, plunge, or baptize you. It's an act of obedience based on what's happened in our soul that we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. So what are we representing when we're baptized? If, if you and I are baptized, what do we represent? Well, here's what we're representing. If you look at Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, it says this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Help me out here. Into his what? His death. Right, so what are we representing? We are representing when Christ is, uh, has been, he's been dead, buried, and rose to new life. So Paul is saying, don't you know when all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. He goes on and says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that's just the beauty of it. That's what we're representing. Baptism is a picture of what Jesus did after dying on the cross when he was buried in the ground and he rose to new life. 
That's what it's a picture of. When you and I go into the water, we're representing Jesus at his baptism, was forecasting and modeling, this is what I want you to do. But he's modeling, I am being prepared like an instrument for holiness. And I want you to catch that. When Jesus was baptized, it's like that there was a liquid element that he was being prepared for the ministry he would do but it would no longer be with the blood of goats and bulls and animals. It now was going to be through his blood, a one-time-for-all sacrifice for those who would put their faith and trust in him. So he's saying, basically, I'm showing you, I will be, I will die for you. I will be raised to new life. Now, Jesus, he could have come up after being dead in the ground and said, hey, listen, um, when you guys eventually build churches, I want every church to build a cave, and I want you to put a big rolling stone in front of it. And when someone says, hey, I believe, you roll that stone away, you put them inside for three days, you leave them there, and then you roll the stone back, and they come out and go, ta-da! He could have said that. He could have said, hey, get a nice, really nice, like, pit, and uh, get all your elders there and get them with shovels, and put a big pile of dirt, and when someone believes, just lay them down in that and throw dirt on them, and then just pull them up right at the end, like, whoo, just in time, before they get smothered. That's what he could have said, but no. Instead, he said, well, here's the model you're going to do. You're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed, representing my death, my burial, and because of me, my resurrection, which now means that someday when you're dead, when you're buried, you will, in fact, rise to new life because of faith and trust in me. That's what he does. That's what he told the church to do. Well, you got to wonder, did they actually do it? He said, be baptized. He didn't say those other things. He said, this is what I want you to do, be baptized. Well, did they do it? On your outline, there's a quick little list I want to walk through with you, just showing baptism in the early church. And it's not all of them. It's just a highlight. So let's look at this highlight reel together on your outline. Acts 2.38, Peter speaks on the day of Pentecost, and over 3,000 people are baptized. So let me help you understand. They believe and then they're baptized. I mean, that's just a natural result. So on that day, he preaches, 3,000 people come, and they, be, they get baptized that same day. Do they have it all together? No. Do they know where it all is? No. Do they understand everything about everything about the Bible? No. Have they read the entire Bible? No. But they believe. And the first act of obedience based on belief is that, that they are baptized. So Peter speaks, 3,000 people are baptized. Acts 8.13, the baptism of Simon happens. Acts 8.36, the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 10.47, the baptism of Cornelius and then his whole household. Acts 16.15, the baptism of Lydia and her whole household. In Acts 16.33, the baptism of the Philippian jailer who was jailing people who were believers, and yet when they were freed, he accepted Christ. Acts 18.8, the baptism of Crispus, who, by the way, was ruler of the synagogue. And Acts 22.16, the baptism of Saul of Tarsus, you would know him more likely as the Apostle Paul. What was the pattern? They believed they were baptized. Well, what about people who believed but they weren't baptized? People ask me that question all the time. What about like if somebody believed in Christ but they, they just didn't make that decision, they didn't fall through, they didn't get baptized? Like what if they were on a plane and it went down? Or what if they believed in Jesus Christ but they, you know, uh, they just never got around to it? Or what if they got in a car wreck? Or, or what happened? And you know, I always wonder, like, well, maybe on the plane they just grabbed the water bottle and you know, pushed the little stewardess button and, like, you know, started doing No, that's not what they would do, right? What would happen if someone died and they weren't baptized? Well, let me point out to one thing. Again, baptism is not for salvation. It's an act of obedience. Jesus is on the cross. He's got two thieves on either side. One of the thieves says, 
Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, today you're going to get off the cross and go be baptized. No, it's not what he said at all, right? What did he say? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus hadn't fully died yet, hadn't, hadn't given the great commission at this point. The question's not, what if someone didn't get baptized and they died? Because again, it's not salvation. The real question is this, and this is a question I have for you. Why would the living choose not to be baptized, to not obey a direct command from Jesus Christ. See, the issue is not, well, what happens if a person dies and they weren't baptized? No, the real issue is, why would the living choose not to be baptized, to obey a direct command of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't we do that? Sometimes we think we have lots of reasons why. That in and of itself may show the condition of your heart. Again, if you're going to get baptized, don't do it for a church. Don't do it for some sort of membership. Don't do it for a relationship. Some of you are like dating somebody and you're like, oh, well, well I, you know, they're kind of Christian, so maybe I should get baptized because they, you know, they've been baptized, they're a Christian, maybe I'll do it for them. No, don't do it for any of that. The reason a person does a public demonstration is they're saying something has had to already have happened in here, that I've already put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, and based on that then, I will choose to make a public proclamation of what God has already done and that I associate with him. Do it for obedience to the one who died for you. Well, Mark 16, 16, Mark says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And what I want you to know is some people try to use this verse and say, well, look, it looks like baptism, if you hold that up there for just a minute, um, it looks like baptism uh, deals with salvation, but the true, the parallels in the scripture are whoever believes. Oh, and by the way, the first result is that they just get baptized because that's what believers do. So he's saying whoever believes is parallel to does not believe. So again, when he's talking about salvation there, he's saying whoever doesn't believe, they're not saved, but whoever believes, the natural result of that belief is baptism, but baptism doesn't save. Do you understand me? Do you follow where I'm going? See, number three on your outline, the pattern in scripture is always believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. And that's the pattern in scripture. It's always, when you look, you watch the person, they put their faith and trust, they believe, they give faith, they don't gain faith. Faith is something we have that we give to God. God, I give my faith that what you did on the cross can save me. So they give faith and they're baptized. They believe and they're baptized. They believe and they're baptized. They believe and what? They're baptized. That's the natural result. It's always that pattern in scripture. And so here I want to I wanna ask you two things, give you two test cases. See, some people in the room have a legitimate reason why they haven't wanted to be baptized. I've worked with people who have water terrors. I've worked with people who just are in fear of being in front of people. I've worked with people who are like, I don't know, like my parents baptized me, and I, I don't know, was that, did that count? What, you know, what was going on there? I don't want to offend them. I don't, I don't, there's a lot of conditions going on, and, and people wonder, like, did, did mine count, or should I, should I get baptized, or I have this real legitimate thing? And I got to tell you, it is such a beautiful thing when God begins to work through a person who does have a legitimate fear, who does, is intimidated about being in front of a bunch of people, and they choose to do that. God knows something about the human condition 
that there's this natural propensity for you and I to keep kind of one foot out of the door, and he knows that there's something, that there's a faith right away, early on, a faith-growing opportunity for a person not to keep silent, not to keep it secret, but to make a proclamation, and it's the beginning journey of their faith in him, and God calls us to do something very active, very public, that we would be baptized, and I, let me give you two pictures. First picture is this. You die, you get to heaven, you're standing before God, and you say, hey, Lord, I decided I want to be a test case. You see, I believe in you, but I decided it really wasn't necessary to be baptized. I believe in you, God. I just, I just thought in this test case that I didn't need to be baptized. And the other side is this, that you stand before God and you say, God, hello, here I am, your son, your daughter. I did everything I knew to obey your commandments, and I didn't do it perfectly, and that's why I needed you. Thank you so much for dying for me. I surrendered the best of my time and my treasure and my talents. I was baptized just like you were and just as you commanded me. Which of those two do you want to be? 1 John 5, 12, John says this, He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Where does eternal life start? It starts with Jesus Christ, putting your faith, your trust in him. And some of you around here are like, I, I've done that. I, I put my faith and trust in Christ, but you're realizing I've never been baptized or somebody else baptized me. And, and people ask, well, what if I was baptized by a as a baby and it was not really a representation of my belief? It was, you know, it was my parents' belief. It was what they decided should happen to me. Uh, others ask this, what if, what if I got baptized, but I had no idea what it meant? Let me tell you, there were 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost who got baptized and they may not have known entirely what it all meant, but what they knew is that they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And as an act of obedience, the first thing they did was to get baptized. They believed and were baptized. But the question you need to ask and you need to ask yourself is, did I mean it? Was it my faith? Did I choose to be baptized? Was it a believer's baptism? Not somebody else, but was this my choice? And if so, was it an immersion? Did I follow what Jesus shows in scripture? Did I do even what Jesus did? Do we do that? That's what we ask ourselves. And here's what I want to challenge you with. If today you're saying, I don't know, I, I, today I need to get baptized. And I guess we can, obviously we can schedule it for you, no problem. But, but here's what I want to do. I want to tell you, if you need to be baptized today, if the answer to that question is that you need to be baptized, then I'm going to ask you to get baptized today in your clothes. Jen Ferriolo was here, and she's our children's director. By the way, if you have children, clap, because she's just phenomenal. But... Some years ago, we had an outdoor baptism, and as she's standing there watching other people proclaim their faith in Christ, she realized, I believe in Jesus. I've just never gotten baptized. And so in front of her two teenage, preteen girls at the time, she stepped up in her full summer dress, clothes, got baptized, and big deal, drove home wet. And that's what I'm going to tell you. Do you love Jesus more than your cloth or leather in your car? Big deal. You'll drive home wet. We got lots of towels. We'll baptize you right here today. We had an amazing number of people get baptized actually last hour 
It was overwhelming in a beautiful sense that people just said, I will take that step in a public way to get baptized. And if that's you today, then what I'm going to ask you to do is at the end of the service, so after we sung, at the end of the service, you're just going to come over on this side in front of these windows, and you're just, well, we're going to have our elders down there and just some staff, and they'll just hear your story of your belief in Christ, and then we would love to baptize you. But I'm going to challenge you, get baptized today. Well, you'll dry off. It's a hot day outside. Big deal. You drive home wet. It is a small thing to do for a Christ who hung on a cross and paid for your sin and mine, who commanded you and I to be baptized. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life, it doesn't start with baptism. It starts with belief, doesn't it? And around this room there today are those who have never put their faith, you've never trusted in Jesus' death on the cross as being something that saves you. And today you're realizing that's why he died, to wash away all your sin, to forgive you, and to make you a new creation on the inside. And so today the first step is belief. If today that's you and you're just, you know in your heart this is the right time, it's, it's right for me to make this decision, I feel God pulling me right now, then you simply pray a prayer after me like this, to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation on the inside. Wash me of all my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried, that you rose to new life, and that you are God. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and make me new, because today, Jesus, I give you me. Right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand up? Anywhere around the room, we've got some people who just simply want to give you some information. A couple in the back there, over here on the side. Just hold your hand up long enough, they'll find you. They want to give you some information that helps you understand that decision you've made. Father, we are so grateful for you, thankful for your son. Thank you, God, for the identity we can have in you. But God, I pray that even right now, your Holy Spirit would inspire those that know that they need to be baptized to take that step of faith, that they would do it even here and now today. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we give it up for what God's doing in us and through us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.